0: Good morning. Thanks, Sarah. Welcome to church. I'm glad you are here. My name is John, and I serve as the pastor here. So if you're visiting this morning, witnessing someone get baptized, I'm very thankful you are here. Before we get to dumping people in water, I want to do a little bit of explanation and then take you through the Bible to tell you why we do this amazing celebration. And I'm glad you are here to celebrate with those who are being baptized because it is truly a celebration. I want to give you the good news this morning. What I'm going to do is just share the gospel with you. The gospel means good news, and it's basically what we sing about and what we talk about and what we pray about and what we share with others. Our whole life at this church as a people is to share good news with people. One of the things we usually say is we we don't have a whole lot of great advice. We can get great advice anywhere, but this is good news, and good news can always change your life. Now, to do this, I want to explain who we are as people, as created image bearers of God, and then I want to introduce you to a few people in the Bible, a few characters, I'm going to introduce you to a man named Abraham, who is called the father of our faith. And then we will meet uh, this nameless, arrogant religious Pharisee that we just heard about. We will meet the humble tax collector we just heard about. And then finally, I'm going to introduce you to the person, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is our Savior. And to start, I think we just need to remember, and it's, it's such a privilege to gather as God's people to worship him each and every single Sunday, amen? Amen. It is a privilege. Sunday after Sunday, even day after day, whether it be in a worship service here at church or during a connect group or during a study time or during a prayer gathering, we worship the one true living God. Our God is not dead. He's not a statue. We're not wishful thinkers. The Spirit of God has told us that the Word of God is true, and that Word of God points to a, a risen Savior, one true living God. And so we, worship, we gather to worship our King. His name is Jesus and we, th- that worship, that word worship means, excuse me, game on. We worship, meaning we ascribe worth. We give honor. We give praise. We give glory to God. First, because of who he is. He is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And second, we do all of that because of what he has done. He has made it possible to be forgiven. He has made it possible for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of anyone who would come before him to be forgiven. He has made it possible for us to be righteous before him. And remember that word. We're going to look at that word today. He has made it possible for us to be righteous before him because of what his son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished. To put it plainly, he has saved us. If you heard a Christian say they are saved, that is what they're saying. They have been made righteous. Their sin has been forgiven. God has saved them. God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who spoke light into existence, the one who separated the night from the day, the one who put the land and the sea in the exact places where he wanted to put it, and the one who made man in his image, this is the God who made it all possible for sinners to become saints, for those who are far away from him to be brought near to him, for those who were lost to be found. This act of salvation is the result of belief, belief, what the Bible, to be saved, you must believe in the gospel, it means the good news. You need to have faith, you need to have an active belief in the hopefulness of what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. And notice I did not say salvation or your righteousness is gained because of a certain lifestyle or attending a certain number of church services. Notice that I did not say salvation is offered to those who have reached the highest level of intellectualism. I can't even say that word correctly. So if I can be saved, you can be saved. (laughs) Or who have positioned themselves at the top of our society. I did not say salvation is given to those who have lived a good life or who have not hurt anyone or who have not just committed any serious offense. Please understand, if you could leave here with one word today. Salvation is not for those who have earned it. Salvation is not for those who grew up in a good home who lived in only a certain neighborhood. Please, please understand me. Just because you think you have a good relationship with the man, quote, upstairs, that does not mean you are saved. I'm drawing this point out for a reason, and here's why. Here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to walk out of here remembering. Well, I want you to remember, everybody, that gets dunked. But here's what I want you to remember about what the Bible says. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. If you're to leave here today and think of one phrase for the entire week, I need you to think about that phrase. Now, for the Christian, that's a very hopeful phrase because the Christian has been made aware of their sin and just how wicked they truly are. And so the Christian leaves thinking, ha, I'm so happy Jesus died for me because you're right. I couldn't do it. For the non Christian, for the person who is here and hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, hasn't taken it seriously, it's just not for you. I want you to just think about that phrase you cannot save yourself. You see, here's why the Bible says God is holy, He is perfect, God is righteous. He does not and will not have anything to do with sin, with unrighteousness. It's the opposite of being holy, to be sinful. It's the opposite of being holy, of being perfect, or being good. And more specifically, God cannot be in a relationship with people who are sinful. He cannot, and he will not. Well, who are, who are the sinners, you may ask? Who are, who are these people that God cannot be with, who cannot be in a relationship with? Well, that's an easy one. It's, it's me, and it's you, and it's everyone, everywhere, who has ever been born. You see, we're born into sin. The Bible says, through one man, sin entered the world. And because of the rebellion of this first man, our human representative, we inherited sin. We did. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, we believe that a whole story about the garden and the serpent and the apple, their papaya, whatever you wanna put there, we believe it to be true. And we believe that is the first rebellion of God's creation against him. And therefore, the Bible says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands No one seeks God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. Listen, I do mean to encourage you today, but first I need to make you feel really bad. No one does good, not even one. Friends, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Now, this is a problem. If God is righteous and we are unrighteous, we have a problem because we cannot be in a relationship with the God who created all things who created us, who created you. That's beautiful, by the way, isn't it? You're not an accident. You are actually in this place in this time because God put you here. Whether someone drug you here, by the way, we drag people to church, no shame. So deal with it. But you are actually listening to this message. You're not listening to me, I'm not, I'm not the best. You're listening to the Bible because God says, I want you to hear the Bible this morning. It's all part of his plan. Don't overlook that. But this is a problem. God is righteous and we are not. We've all turned aside. We haven't sought him. We're all sinners. And the Bible puts forth that God is righteous and we are unrighteous. This is who we are, born out of iniquity, born out of sin. We are people who reject and ignore God and the world that he created, and we do not do what he requires in his law. That's the very definition of a sinner. I do not gloss over this reality of sinfulness. Don't just let it pass over, let it sink in. Here's the deal. The problem is that not only are we sinful and rebellious towards God, here's the second half of this. That sin uh, demands a payment, a consequence. Our sin will not go unpunished. It demands a payment because God is just. He always does what is right. He always does what is right. So here we are, living our life, doing as we wish, ignoring God and his plan for our life, ignoring what he has called us to do and called us to be. And all this time, the sinner has the audacity to think that God will simply let that stuff go, that he'll just turn away, or maybe that he'll just forgive everyone equally. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. God will not let sin go unpunished. Now let me pose a question at this moment. If this were true, we believe it is, if this were true, is there any way that as a sinner, you could stand before him on the basis of who you are or even what you have done? We cannot. The answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. We who are unrighteous have no ability to stand before a holy and righteous God without someone, something intervening for us. We can't stand before him in our unrighteousness. And no matter how many different strategies you try, you will not be able to save yourself. No matter how much money you make, you will not be able to save yourself. No matter how much, uh, what position of power you ascend to, you will not be able to save yourself. No matter the level of sincerity you have regarding the way you live, you will not be able to save yourself. And this is for some of us here. No matter how quiet we are, you know, maybe we just retreat from culture and don't offend anyone and don't make any serious offense. What if I just stick to myself and do what I want? you will not be able to save yourself. Because don't you see, you cannot earn the righteousness that is required of you to stand before God. You can't earn it. You don't earn righteousness. You are gifted this righteousness. It is given to you. Now let me give you some good news. By the way, that's also good news, okay? I know outside of these walls, you may not think that is good news. But that is good news to tell someone you love the truth. And I love you. And I don't even know half of you, but I'm a very loving person and I will love you if you allow me to. But I love you, so I have to tell you the good news that you need righteousness. You cannot save yourself. Let me give you the good news. I'm gonna read something from a book called Romans. It's in your New Testament. It's a letter that a man named Paul wrote to the church in Rome a long, long time ago. I'm gonna read it and I'm going to explain it. It says, but now, talking about, so all that sin, right? Sin, righteousness, blah, you stink, right? All that, that's there. But now the righteousness of God, and we need that, don't we? That's our word. The righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. (laughs) Big words. Maybe not for you, but for me. So let me tell you what this means. The law of God proves that everyone is unrighteous. We just covered that. Sinful, because no one can obey his law. And this failure to be righteous before the law of God means everyone is under the judgment of God. But, but, best word in the Bible, one T, B-U-T, The righteousness of God, the holiness of God, can now be obtained by you through your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but because his grace, because giving his creation that which they do not deserve, clearly I don't deserve it. Most of the time you run into Christians, and a lot of people outside the church thinks Christians are judgmental at them because they have something different and they earned it. Well, we didn't. I'm not up here because I'm better than you. I'm not up here because I've earned something from God that you haven't had the ability to earn yet. I'm way wicked, more wicked than you are. I'm way worse than you. But because God has given me the gift of His grace, I can now be a saint. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the sinner can be saved, saved from the judgment that sin demands. When Christ died on the cross, all of our sin was poured out on him. That's why that event was so horrific. All of the wrath of God and the judgment of God and all this, all the stuff that my sin deserved was poured out on Jesus, and all of the goodness of who Jesus was is now offered to us. It's called the Great Exchange. So now we understand that every person needs to be righteous before God to be saved. And now we understand that Jesus is the one who died, so we can stand in his righteousness. And now some may ask, well, how do I get this righteousness? I don't earn it. I don't do anything. I don't even have to comb my hair. I don't even have to take a shower. You're right. You can just come as you are. So how do you receive this righteousness? Let me introduce you to a man named Abraham. I'm going to tell you two stories about Abraham. Abraham was a man living his life, doing his thing. God shows up, this is in the beginning of your Bible, way over here, way over here, like Genesis something, okay? He says, go. God says, Abraham, go. Go from where your country, and take all your people, and go from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And here's why I will make your name great, Abraham, so that you would be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those who will curse you. And in you, Abraham, in you, all of the families in the earth shall be blessed. That's quite the promise. I'm just some guy living my life, doing my thing. All the families of the earth will be blessed through what God has done through Abraham's family. Uh, This is because Jesus is born into the family of Abraham. When you read Matthew chapter one, that's the first book of your New Testament, Matthew, who's the gospel writer, gives us a whole genealogy of where Jesus comes from. And we will see that he starts his book by revealing the genealogy of Jesus's family, who Jesus is related to. How far back does his lineage go? And he starts with Abraham. And so now we know all the families of the world will be blessed through Abraham because through Abraham, Jesus comes, the one who is the son of God, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the one who died on the cross so you could have his righteousness. Now, in the storyline of Abraham, a little bit later, the Bible records the most amazing thing. And I'm gonna tell you this story for a reason, to prove to you that even, even if you try, you can't earn your righteousness. Listen, if you're here and you're not saved, you cannot save yourself. Remember the big idea? But Christian, remember, at Sunday at 1230, you cannot save yourself. And then remember on Monday, and then remember on Tuesday, and then remember on Thursday. Because as the Christians, we are so tempted to live so self-righteously, thinking we have earned that which only God can gift. Christians do it all the time. I would say every day. We think we can stand before God because of what we have done. It's totally untrue, amen? It's untrue. We're just beggars who have found some bread trying to give other people some bread. It's all we are. In the storyline of Abraham, the Bible records the most amazing thing. God makes another promise to Abraham. And in fact, he makes a few promises to Abraham throughout his life. One of many. He makes what the Bible calls a covenant. It's unbreakable. You don't want to break a covenant. Bad things happen, okay? You don't want to break that. Because for a really long time, Abraham and his wife, they didn't have any children. And this is the same man that God says, hey, through your family, I'm going to bless every family. And Abraham's getting old, really old. And his wife is getting really old and they're thinking, well, we can't bless everyone if we don't have anybody to give our stuff to. I need an heir. I need a son. That's that's how it worked in the ancient world. You just didn't give it all to the church like you guys are going to do. You wanted to give it to your son. That's what you wanted to do. For a really long time, Abraham and his wife did not have any children. And he's thinking, I cannot bless the nations of the world unless I pass down what I have been given, unless I pass down the promise God has given me. So God says, Abraham, listen, just chill for a minute. Take it easy. Remember, I put all the stars in the sky, all right? So I know what you're going through. I get it. You will have a son. I promise you that. In fact, look at the stars. Go ahead, look up. Look at the stars. Not you, talking to Abraham. If you can count all those stars, that's how many people will be in your family. (laughs) Abraham's response is one of, belief to that promise. The Bible says when God told that to Abraham, Abraham believed. Now here's the important thing. The Bible says Abraham believed in what God had said, and God counted to him that belief as righteousness. Well, that's the same thing I need to stand before God, right? And what did Abraham do to get it? He believed. Did he obey everything that God said? No. Read about Abraham. He's a wicked dude. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to pretty much tar every single person in the Bible except for one. That's how you know he's the savior. What did Abraham do to get the righteousness that he needs to be saved from the judgment of sin and stand before a holy God? He believed in what God had said. That's the word. Belief. That's what we must have in order to be saved, in order to be made righteousness, in order to be made righteous. And Abraham got it because he believed. Now, the exact same conversation that God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to be okay. I told you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. God always fulfills his word. Amen. He's faithful. I'm not. He's, he's faithful. I mean, I'm, I'm faithful. Different context, but you know what I mean. In the exact same, love you, babe. In the exact same conversation, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise, Abraham. Bring some animals to me and prepare them. I want you to use these animals as a way to make a promise with you. We're going to do a little ceremony here. I want you to cut them in half. It's going to get bloody. We're going to separate the animals. It's, all right, we don't do this anymore. Like, pinky promise is sufficient. But I want you to cut these animals in half, and I want you to separate them. So Abraham does what God says, and he prepares all of these animals. Cuts them in half, and basically what they're going to do is they're going to promise something, God's got to promise something with Abraham and he's gonna walk through these animals because you see, if you break that promise, then you'd be like the animals. That's what you would do. I'm gonna make a vow to you. I'm gonna make a promise to you. And man, if I break this promise, just so you know, may I be like these animals, may I die. That's how much I'm willing to hold my promise to you. It's not like a pinky promise, you see. This is, this is a real promise. And just as the sun is going down, just before God is about to make this promise with Abraham, Abraham goes into a deep sleep. Falls asleep. The Bible says he's wrestling with some darkness. He goes into a deep sleep. And God goes through the promise-making process alone. He goes through it alone. God promises Abraham that he will have a son, and that through that son, all the nations will be blessed. And that promise and, and all the nations still stands, and the promise he said is still true. But you see, Abraham didn't walk through him. With him. He didn't walk through the promise with him. What did God do? God walked through by himself. What does that mean? I mean, God's uphold this promise for salvation. Abraham doesn't need to do anything. God's going to do all of it. He doesn't walk through this promise side by side with Abraham. He doesn't drag Abraham behind him. He makes this promise to Abraham on his own character, his own faithfulness. That's our God. He doesn't need Abraham to uphold Abraham's word. He knows Abraham's gonna fail. In fact, even if Abraham were alive and went through that promise, he already knew Abraham was gonna fail him 10 times fold, ten times over. He knew Abraham could never keep his promise because he's unrighteous and he needs the righteousness of God. So you see, the righteousness of God, the righteousness you need to be saved, was given to Abraham because he believed. And the promise of the blessing, which we now, to be fully revealed, as you read the Bible, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, was made to Abraham without Abraham doing anything. It was made because God is faithful, because God is good, because God is holy and just and gracious and merciful and kind and loving and all other really good word you can think of. That's who he is. Friends, doesn't this remind us that we just don't play games here? Amen? Amen? Now, we don't take ourselves too seriously, obviously. We take the Bible very seriously, and we take your soul very seriously. And I love you enough to tell you, we don't play religious games here. We're here to call you to faith and belief in the one true living God and his son, Jesus Christ. I can hear Abraham asking God, you know, he's waking up, right? And he's like, oh, there are the animals. I'm not sure what happened. I can hear Abraham wake up. God, I fell asleep. Uh, sorry about that. That was kind of a blunder. Now, what do I need to do so the world would be blessed? I I, I was asleep. God says, just believe in me. Right, God, I, thanks for that. I couldn't stay awake. Did you hear me? What do I need to do? Where is my list of things that I must accomplish so the promise that you made me would come true? Just trust in me, Abraham. God, I'm confused. Now, I, I know you hear me. I fell asleep. I did not go through the promise-making ceremony with you. What must I do to ensure that all is going to be okay? What's my next move? Abraham, have faith in me. That's what I need you to do. See, the pattern of the Bible, it's all about God accomplishing something great for his people. It's all about God promising to make a way for the sinner to become righteous. It's all about God making it possible for you to be saved. That's what the Bible's about. Sarah read the story to us earlier where we're going to end. I'm going to read it one more time. We're going to meet our religious Pharisee and our humble tax collector. This is Jesus, and he told a parable. A parable is like not a real-life story. It's a story that he told to get a point across. Okay, So this story actually didn't happen. It's Jesus' teaching. He says he also told this parable to those, who did he tell it to? Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous we just discovered that, didn't we? You see, people don't change. We just get iPhones, right? It's the same problem we have today they had when Jesus, wrote, when Jesus said these words. Everyone thinks they can trust in themselves for their righteousness. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and then what? And treated others with contempt because that's what self-righteous people do. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other one was a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, the religious man who knew all that God had said, knew everything that God had written in his law, was the religious elite of his community. He said, God, oh, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I'm not like those extortioners. I'm not like the unjust. I'm not like the adulterers. I'm not even like this tax collector. Now, Out of my notes, which is dangerous, right? Tax collector is known as a sinner because he basically was hired by the government to collect money from his own people and they didn't really like that. And he stole some money, then he gave some money, right? So he's a thief, okay? Thank you, I'm not like other men. And then what does he say? Well, I fast twice a week. I do my religious ceremonies twice a week. I give my tithes of all that I get. Now I give back to God of the things that has been given to me. See, I do the things that I'm supposed to do. I got my list and I check it off every day. God, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. Can you imagine how many people would be in this building if that was our sermon every week? It'd be me. And maybe my wife, maybe. But she'd say, you're a heretic. I'm leaving. Not me, but the church. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But this tax collector, what does he do? He stands far off. He doesn't even have enough. He doesn't even think he's good enough to even come to the temple. Some of you went through that today, coming to church. I'm glad you're here. He stood far off. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does Jesus say? I tell you, this man, this tax collector, he's the one that went home saved rather than the other. That's a powerful word. What does Jesus follow up with? For everyone who exalts himself, who thinks himself more highly than he ought to, will be humbled. And let me tell you, that is true. Because when our king returns, the proud will be humbled before him. But, Jesus says, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, what we do here is share the gospel so people can be saved from the judgment of God. And what we do is not give people religious steps to take. We give them the truth of what God has said. Have faith in him. Believe in him. Humble yourself before him. Because why? You cannot save yourself. The one true living God does not and will not ever require you to have a religious heart. He does not want you to take religious action. He does not require you to check off a lifelong list of deeds which you think are going to please him. He clearly doesn't need to hear how amazing you've been acting like the Pharisee. The righteousness we need in order to be saved from his judgment is attained by believing and having faith in the one that he has sent for us. That person is Jesus. Jesus says two different people approach God in two different ways. And then he says there are always going to be two different outcomes. Always. The religious man does not leave the temple saved. The humble sinner who believes that if he cries out to God does leave saved. The arrogant religious man who trusted in himself to be okay when he meets God does not leave the temple saved. The man who realizes he's so bad he has nothing else left but to believe what God has done for him is gifted the righteousness of God that he needs to be saved. He leaves saved. He walks away righteous. He leaves the temple safe from the coming judgment of God. So my question to you, if you leave this church today, are you leaving here trusting in yourself? I pray you don't. I've prayed all week that you don't and that you will not. Are you leaving here humbled before an awesome God, the one, the only one who has the power to gift you the righteousness you need? Or are you going to stand face to face with him and say, I'm good, I got it. Friends, this is the gospel. You cannot save yourself. But by believing and trusting in what Jesus has done for you, you will be saved. You will be made righteousness. You will be made righteous. I said that word a lot. So we have people to celebrate with, don't we? You're like, could get to that. Good, listen. We have people we're going to celebrate with. This is why this ceremony is so important. Because the people that are about to stand up here, they believe in Jesus. We can't, That's not a simple thing, is it? It's not. That is the power of God. They did not believe because they got smart enough. They did not not even believe because they were cool enough. We got some really cool people. They have faith that Jesus is who he says he is. They trust that when the word of God says that the death of Jesus Christ is sufficient, it's bold enough, it's big enough, it's deep enough, it's wide enough to pay the debt of all of their sin, that's what they believe, that's what they trust. We have people here to celebrate with because they've been saved. And there's no better way to celebrate than baptism. No better way. Throughout the Bible, people believed and were baptized, believed and were baptized, believed and were baptized, over and over and over again, baptized, baptismo, to be immersed, to be dunked in some water somewhere. That's why we hooked this up, and that's why Steve had to fill it up with warm water. It's like 70. Yeah. Let's just think about the history for a minute. Started with a horse trough. Sarah's like, that wasn't great. Just going to be honest with you. Brandon couldn't even speak. He was so cold when he was in that horse trough. He, right? It was cold. And then we had this little personal spa. It was great. Fired up. It was like a bubbly tub, you know? It's too small. I almost cracked Trevor's head open, dunking him into the tank. But now we have this, this thing. It's just a big canvas full of water <laughs> with a pool ladder that is way steeper than I thought it would be when I bought it, OK? But Steve put some hot water in there last night, so we're good. The act of baptism signifies the washing away of the sin of the person going into it. It identifies the believer with their Savior. We are buried in the likeness of his death, and we are raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen? That's what it does. Baptism tells us they believe. And baptism tells us they are a part of God's church. It's a beautiful thing.